Amen. Praise the Lord. Let's start tonight in Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, we want to look at the first verse and use that as the beginning point or text scripture for us this evening. Holy Ghost said to the author of the book of Hebrews, I believe that was Paul, but not everybody agrees with that. But anyway, in Hebrews 11.1, 1, it says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. It tells us some things right off the bat. Number one, faith and hope cannot be the same thing because faith is the substance of what you already hope for or what you do hope for. And then secondly, it says it's the evidence of things not seen. Moffat's translation says it this way. It says faith is, means we're convinced of what we hope for. Uh, I messed that up. Let me start again. Faith means that we're confident of what we hope for, convinced of what we don't see. Confident about what we hope for and convinced of what we can't see. Another translation says that faith is the title deed to what we can't see. Now, folks, it's really important that, uh, that you understand the difference between faith and hope and believing and having. The best way I know to, to uh, illustrate this is to identify how faith is, is connected to and only connected to what you can't see. So let's use this as an example. If I said to you that I've got a key in my pocket, your relationship to that key is going to be different with mine than mine will be. Because I know that I put a key in my pocket for the purpose of this illustration. It takes no faith on my part whatsoever regarding the key, even though it's still unseen, because I know the key was in my possession and I know where I put it. But if we turn that around and say something concerning your relationship with that key, your relationship with that key or your connection with that key is, is dependent solely on whether or not you trust me to be telling the truth. Because you don't know what I put in my pocket. You don't know if I put anything in my pocket. So whereas I have knowledge of something that's in my possession, you're left to rely on my word. To believe or not to believe. Now how many of you believe I've got a key in my pocket? Thank you for your trust in me. I know you don't care one way or the other. Who cares if you've got a key in your pocket? But it's important to realize that whereas you're operating in faith concerning this key, I'm not. Yet it's unseen to both of us. But it was seen by me and it was in my possession. So let me prove your trustworthiness was not misplaced. There's the key. Now how many of you believe I've got a key? What do you believe in it for? You can already see it. Do you see where faith changes? Do you see where faith changes and turns into knowledge? At the point that you can see the key or whatever it is, healing, whatever it is, financial blessing, you need to be met, whatever the case is, whatever it is that you're believing God for. Once you can see it, faith has come to an end. Because faith is the substance of things hoped for, it's the evidence of things that you can't see. Faith can never be the substance or the evidence of things that you can see. Brother Hagin told a story of a church that he went to and the pastor was fighting some kind of sickness or some kind of condition. And so midway through the first week of the, uh, of the seminar, crusade, whatever it was they were having, the meetings they were having at the church, the pastor, who everybody knew what his situation was, the pastor came up after the service when he was ministering to the sick and he had hands laid on him. Brother Hagin laid hands on him, said the same thing basically that he said to anybody else and started to move on down the line. He was just one of the ones in the line that came up to be prayed for. And as he walked away a little bit, walked a few steps away, Brother Hagin looked back and he said that I saw that the, the pastor was checking himself to see if anything had happened. And when he did that, he shook his head and kind of muttered under his breath, well, I didn't get it. So Brother Hagin stopped before he got to the other person that he was going to, came back to him and said, Brother, what is it? And then he said, loud enough for everybody to hear, well, I didn't get my healing. And so Brother Hagin said, tried to in instruct him a little bit and he uh, talked to him a little bit more. 
And Brother Hagin said, I could see right away what the situation was with him. He's waiting to see or feel something before he's going to believe he has it. Before he believes he receives it. So Brother Hagin asked him a question. He said, he laid hands on him again, stopped, waited. The guy did the same thing, checked himself out, saw that nothing had changed. And so Brother Hagin asked him a question. He said, when are you going to start believing that you receive your healing? And the guy answered with all sincerity. He said, well, when I have it. And then Brother Hagin asked him this. He said, why would you want to believe for it then? Seems like you'd know it then. And it went completely over the pastor's head as Brother Hagin told the story. There were some people in the crowd that kind of snickered and indicated that they saw it, but the pastor didn't get it. Well, he heard the, the commotion in the crowd where some of the people were kind of chuckling about it. So then he went back to Brother Hagin and he said, or looked at him and said, say that again. And so Brother Hagin did. He said, when are you going to start believing that you receive your healing? And he answered the same way. Well, when I have it. Brother Hagin said the same exact thing that he said a few moments ago. Why would you want to believe for it then? It seems like you would know it then. And more of the crowd kind of chuckled. And so the pastor did the same thing the third time. He said, say that again. Brother Hagin said the same thing. When are you going to start believing that you receive your healing? He said, when I have it. Why would you want to believe for it then? Seems like you would know it. Now, at that, by that time, after the third time, the whole crowd indicated that they saw it, but the pastor never did. Never did. Faith is the evidence of what you can't see. Now, turn with me over to Mark chapter 11. Jesus giving us the most concise and perhaps the most precious words to identify healing, or to identify faith, excuse me. This is after Jesus curses the fig tree and the disciples bring it to his attention. Verse 22, Jesus answering said unto them, have faith in God. Remember, faith deals with the unseen only. Have faith in God, he said. For verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Verse 24, therefore I say unto you, what things soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. Now notice what verse 24 says. It talks about believing you receive and it talks about having. When do you believe you receive them? We'll use healing for example since we're in healing school. When do you believe you receive your healing? Before you have it. When do you have your healing? After you believe you receive it. Now notice in verse 23 and 24. Again verse 23 Jesus said. Whosoever shall say unto this mountain. Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea. And shall not doubt. Here's the, the uh, qualification. And shall not doubt in his heart. But shall believe in his heart. That those things which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have. Whatsoever he saith. He said there were conditions to faith. And those conditions are to believe in your heart. Say with your mouth. And the end result is you shall have whatsoever you say. Again, it identifies that believing and having are two different points in time. Two different points in time entirely. Believing you receive is not having. Believing you receive will bring you to the place where you have it. But having comes after you believe you receive. It comes after you believe you receive. Now notice what Jesus did not say. We know by virtue of the fact that believing you receive or speaking your faith, whichever way you do it, whether in prayer or just the spoken word, the point you release your faith is a different point in time than when you have it, have the object of your faith. So since we know that those are two different points in time, and Jesus, other than what we read, Jesus said absolutely nothing about the issue of time. He did not tell us whosoever shall believe that they receive for a week shall have it. Or after a week they'll have it. He did not say that it would take a month. He didn't say it would be instantly. He left no indication to us whatsoever on the period of time that would transpire. We just simply know that the point in time of believing you receive your healing is different than the point in time where you have it. 
That much we know. What we don't know is how long that period of time will be. Now, folks, if it, if it was supposed to work in a, in a day or if it was supposed to work in a week or if it was supposed to work in a month as a rule or as a principle, if Jesus didn't tell us that, then he's tricked us. He's played an awful prank on us because if there were a set time for believing that you receive, bringing the, the end result, the healing to you so that you have it, if there was a specific point in time or if there's a, a specific period in time, excuse me, if there's a specific period in time that it always works the same way, if he didn't tell us, then he misled us. He deceived us. Well, Jesus can't be a deceiver. That would mean he's a sinner and he wasn't a worthy sacrifice. But this seems to be the issue that everybody has when it comes to the subject of faith. How long? And the devil wants to make you think if you don't get results in a 24-hour period, there must be something wrong with you or must be something wrong with your faith. Well, where do we get that? I guess some, some people assume that because Jesus got quick results, instantaneous results sometimes, Short-term results other times. And the devil would want nothing more than for you to think, well, that worked for him that way because he's the son of God and you're not in the same category as him. You don't have the same relationship with God as he did. And so you can't expect your faith to work the same way that his did. But Jesus very simply, in response to the disciples' questions about how the fig tree dried up from the roots overnight, simply said this, Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, unto your problem, unto your sickness, whatever. Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea and shall not doubt in his heart. In other words, shall not speak contrary to his faith. But shall believe in his heart, independent of your five physical senses, shall believe that those words which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have. Whatsoever he saith. Verse 24 again. Therefore I say unto you. What things soever. We're talking about healing. We're using that as an example. What things soever you desire. The healing you desire. When you pray. Believe that you receive them. The healing that you desire. And you shall have them. So really the issue. For most everybody. Comes down to this. And that is. What do you do between I believe I receive and having? Now, folks, since that's such a prevalent issue in the body of Christ, it would not make sense for the Holy Ghost to ignore the issue. Since that's the thing that that causes people most often, in my experience at least, to stumble, fall, or give up is the issue of time. What is it that the Holy Ghost has given to us to hold us steady, to keep us going between I believe I receive it and having it? Let's look at what the New Testament says. Turn with me over to James chapter 1. The Bible says in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. So we should certainly expect that some of the writers of the New Testament, of the epistles to the church, letters to the church, would address this situation. And several of them did. Notice in James chapter 1, he's writing to the 12 tribes, the Jews which are scattered abroad. He said, my, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. Now, if he's not talking about the time, the circumstances and the conditions that the people reading the letter are experiencing, if he's not talking about the fact that they're standing in faith, believing God for something that they can't yet see and therefore don't have, then what in the world is he speaking to? What would trying of your faith mean if not that? So when he says, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, the trying of your faith worketh patience. He's got to be talking about people that are in that period of time, that place that we call believing God between the prayer, I believe I receive my healing, and having my healing. Now I don't think healing and sickness and disease is the only issue that they're going through. The church at this point in time is under a great deal of persecution. 
But whatever the circumstances that they find themselves in, these principles are going to cover it, whether they're believing for healing and don't yet have it, or whether they're believing for deliverance from persecution and it doesn't yet appear. The Holy Ghost is directing James as the pastor of the church. He's the one that became the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. And in the persecution against the church is what scattered the the 12 tribes and scattered his congregation to the wind. He knows that they're in difficult situations. And so the first thing that he tells them, he doesn't hardly even greet them before he starts giving them instruction by the Holy Ghost on what to do in the time, the period, between when they believe God for something and when it appears. He said, count it all joy. Count it all joy. Count it all joy. What do you do in that period of time between I believe I receive and having? James said to count it joy. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. Folks, that's a very simple way to say knowing that faith doesn't work instantly. Why would the Holy Ghost count it so important to write to the church and tell us that that patience is a part of the operation of faith? See, the devil would want you to think that those people who are strong in faith, like Jesus was strong in faith. And, of course, nobody can be strong in faith like him, the devil will say. But you, there are a lot of people in the body of Christ that are stronger in faith than you or me, he would tell us. And so the idea that he wants to impress upon us, suggest to us, is that because we're weak in faith, whether it's through sin in our lives or just not being spiritually mature enough or whatever is the reason that we're experiencing this trial of faith. But that can't be right if the Holy Ghost is telling James to write that to everybody. If that were the case, then James would have said, now to you spiritually immature people or people that can't get rid of sin in your life, I know you're having it tough. But just keep growing because someday you'll get there and arrive like me in Jesus and you won't have any more trials of your faith. Well, that's absurd. We know that he wouldn't write that. We know that's not the way it works. Even though the devil wants you to think that there's something wrong in your specific case that hinders you from receiving or having from God. It's not what James said. He said, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have her perfect work. Patience is a function of time. If there's no interim period, there's nothing to be patient about. If you got instant results every time you said or claimed something by faith, there would never be any need or never be any opportunity to grow and develop in patience. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have a perfect work that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing, lacking nothing. In other words, receiving the object of your faith. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not. He's got to be talking about wisdom to what to do in the middle of your circumstance. He's not talking about wisdom as a general thing. Paul wrote to the church in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 30 that Christ has already made unto us wisdom. Well, the Holy Ghost certainly wouldn't tell the church to ask for something they've already got. The Bible tells us that Christ has made unto us wisdom just as much as he's made unto us righteousness. You can't find anywhere in the Bible where in the New Testament that says the church should ask for righteousness, can you? Because Jesus has already been made unto us righteousness. Paul said he's made unto us righteousness, sanctification, redemption, and wisdom. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 30. Well, then what is the Holy Ghost talking about asking for wisdom concerning It has to be concerning their individual situations or circumstances. If you're believing God for something and you need wisdom on how to handle things or you need wisdom on what to do in your specific situation, that has to be what he's addressing here. Has to be. There's no other possibility. Because the Holy Ghost would not ever tell us to ask for something we already have. He would impress upon us to claim and take hold of what Jesus has made unto us, the wisdom that he's made unto us. But where he says, if any of you lack wisdom... Let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. He's got to be talking about if you need wisdom on what to do in the situation concerning the trial of your faith, ask God and he'll show you. That has to be what he means. There's no other option. 
But here's the qualification for that. Let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. Now, faith is evidence of things not seen. Faith is connection to something you can't see. But here the Holy Ghost is telling us that faith can be directed in any area. But if you already have the wisdom, the instruction or the knowledge of what to do in your individual situation, then there would be no need to ask in faith because that's a situation where it would already be prevalent or present or a possession. Let him ask in faith, nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord, a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. James is saying that the way to receive wisdom in your specific situation from God is the same principle of faith that Jesus said in Mark eleven twenty three and 24. Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart. That's what James means by nothing wavering. And shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass he shall have whatsoever he saith verse 24 of mark 11 jesus again said therefore i say unto you what things soever you desire when you pray believe that you receive them and you shall have them so the thing that james says to the church about this period of time unknown period of time not specified period of time between i believe i receive my healing and having my healing is a time where we should count it joy. We shouldn't expect, based on what James said, we shouldn't expect that faith is going to work instantly every time. Now, sometimes it does, and boy, aren't there fun times. But we shouldn't expect that it's always going to work that way. Does that mean faith is not effective when it takes longer than an instant result? Doesn't mean that at all. Does Jesus or the Holy Ghost at any point in in time tell us that instant faith or instant results means you are really believing God, but long-term results, not so much? No, he didn't tell us that, does he? There seems to be an expectation on the part of the writer inspired by the Holy Ghost that you're not going to get instant results every time. As a matter of fact, you're probably not going to get instant results most of the time there are some times where we will and those are times of great rejoicing for us but the implication is that there is going to be some period of time where we're going to have to let patience carry us through now I want you to look at another passage in Philippians chapter 4 that was what James said about the situation let's see what Paul said writing to the church at Corinth In verse 6, Paul said, be careful for nothing. Be anxious for nothing. Don't worry. Don't fret about anything. Be careful for nothing, but in everything. Well, everything would include the trying of your faith, wouldn't it? But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Now, Paul is giving us a general principle. He doesn't necessarily or specifically identify that this is the principle whereby everybody should operate only when their faith is being tested or tried. But it does convey that steadiness, that not doubting in your heart, that refusal to waver that James James referred to. It does add to that condition of patience or steadiness. But he adds something to it. He says, don't worry. Don't worry. James says, count it all joy. Paul said, don't worry. Those are connected, folks. If you're worrying, you can't be counting it joy. But Paul said, 
Be careful for nothing. Don't worry. Don't fret. Don't have any anxiety about anything. But in everything, even in the trying of your faith, with prayer and supplication, let your request be made known unto God. Well, isn't that what we're doing when we pray the prayer of faith? When Jesus said, Therefore I say unto you, What things soever you desire, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. Isn't that letting your request be made known unto God? Wouldn't that have to include this, this uh, circumstance or this condition that Paul is writing to the Philippians about? In everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. I don't know about you, but one of the easiest ways for me to chase worry away is to begin thanking God for the answer. Notice what he connects to that. He said, and the peace of God that passes understanding shall keep your hearts and minds. Well, Jesus said, the part of the qualification for the operation of faith is not doubting in your heart. So keeping your heart and keeping your mind would be a necessary component of that too, wouldn't it? Isn't that where the devil attacks us is in the thought life? He tries to influence us with his designs on us doubting in our heart or speaking contrary to what the word of God has promised us. That's what doubt in the heart is. It's speaking according to what you can see and feel instead of what God's word says. Paul says that the peace of God which passes understanding shall keep your heart and your mind. Here's how you can stay steady. Here's how you can stay strong in faith. By not worrying. By praying. By thanking God for the answer. And that brings the peace of God on the scene in our circumstance or in our lives. And then he tells us one final thing and he says, control what you think about. Control what you think about. If you and I are going to be strong in faith and if our prayers of faith are going to work, we're going to have to control our thoughts. We're going to have to choose to think on things that are pure and honest and just and lovely. Things of good report. Things that there's virtue and praise associated with. And the word of God is the only, about the only thing that I know of. That meets all of those conditions. In other words keep your mind on the word. That's what Abraham did according to Romans chapter 4. Abraham believed according to that which was spoken. He refused to waver. Or to be weak in faith. And consider his body. Consider the circumstances. Neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. But looking unto the promise of God. He staggered not through unbelief. Paul said that in Romans 4 that Abraham stayed strong in faith by keeping his eyes on the promise. Keeping his eyes on what God said, so shall your seed be. Here he's telling the Philippians that the way to get there is to cast your cares over on the Lord, thank him for the answer, and control your thoughts so that your hearts and minds can be kept by the word. That's two witnesses. First was Peter. Second was Paul. Look with me now to the third witness. Let's look at, uh, well, the first one was James. The next one I want, to, I want you to look at is 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. Oh, well, let's just start in verse 3. We'll read down through some of these verses. Starting in verse 3, he said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptations. Now he's starting to talk about them and their situations and the trying of their faith and the problems that they're experiencing. He said, we're kept by the power of God. Thank God he's saved us. Thank God the blood of Jesus has made us righteous. That keeps us until Jesus comes back and we receive our heavenly reward. But he knows that some of them now, at that point in time that he wrote the letter... Are going through hard times and hard places. Wherein. Verse 6 again. Wherein you greatly rejoice. 
Well, there's the thanksgiving that, uh, that Paul talked about to the Philippians. There's the counting it all joy that James talked to the church about, James 1, verse 2. Wherein you greatly rejoice, wherein means in the middle of the trials, in the middle of the hard places, you greatly rejoice. Though now for a season, if need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptations. That the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perishes. Though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Whom, having not seen, that means we believe in him. Faith is the evidence of things not seen. Who, having not seen, you love. In whom, though now you see him not, yet believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. So what is Paul, um, Peter? What does Peter say by the Holy Ghost that we're supposed to, what does he say we're supposed to do in that period of time between I believe I received the answer and having the answer? He says rejoice. Rejoice. Look at chapter 4, 1 Peter chapter 4. Peter has some more to say about this. He indicates that he knows what some of their situations are. Verse 12, he said, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. Now, probably the trial that he's talking about is the persecution that the church is under. But the kind of trial really doesn't matter because the devil is an equal opportunity destroyer. He tries to take us all down. He walketh about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. But the Bible says to resist him in faith. Well, then this would have to be the trying of their faith. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. Stop and think about how often the devil tries to tell you your situation is different because of some special circumstance. Whether it's you're not worth anything or your faith's not strong enough or whatever he attempts to, to convince you of. He always tries to make you think that your situation is unique. Yours is different. Yeah, those stories they tell in church about people receiving healing or receiving whatever they need from God, those are great, but your situation is different. Peter is saying by the Holy Ghost, nobody's situation is different. He said there's no reason for you to think this is strange or unique concerning the the circumstances that you're under, whether it be persecution or an attack of sickness or disease or whatever the case is. He says, don't think it's strange. In other words, recognize this is how the devil operates against everybody. Think it not strange concerning the fiery trial that you're going through. But rejoice. There's three different writers that's telling us the same thing about what to do in the middle of trouble. What to do when we're standing in faith for our healing. What what to do when we're standing in faith for our finances. What to do when we're standing in faith for anything and everything. But rejoice inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings. That when his glory shall be revealed you shall be glad also with exceeding joy. Here's the third witness about what to do in the middle of that trial of faith. I want you to look at one other with me in Hebrews chapter 10. As I said before, I believe Paul is the writer, the author of the book of Hebrews. But not everybody agrees with that. But we know the Holy Ghost inspired whoever wrote it to, uh, as the author. So no matter who we uh, settle on or surmised wrote this, we know it's the Holy Ghost speaking to us. Let's start in verse 23. Now let's start, uh, let's start in verse 19. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he has consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our body washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. Now, remember what Jesus said. Jesus said the qualification of faith through the spoken word is, Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, 
shall not doubt in his heart. Shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe in his heart. That those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Here, the author of Hebrews by the Holy Ghost says, hold fast the profession. This word profession is also translated confession. He's talking about the words of your mouth. Hold fast to the words of your mouth that you spoke in faith. In other words, don't doubt in your heart. Don't doubt in your heart. That's the purpose of the devil's attack. That's the reason the devil's doing everything he can to withhold the blessing of God from reaching you or from you having it. Now, he cannot stop spiritual blessings from being yours instantly. When somebody comes to give their heart to the Lord, they get instant results. They don't have to wait a day or a week or a month before salvation is imparted to them, before righteousness becomes theirs. Spiritual things you take hold of instantly. Same thing with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. It's a spiritual gift, a gift from heaven. You don't have to wait on that. You don't have to tarry. The only reason the disciples were told to tarry was they were waiting for the day of Pentecost. Once that day of Pentecost came, the Holy Ghost was poured out and available for anybody and everybody to receive, every believer to receive, not the world, but belongs to the church. Any and every believer can receive instantly. There's nothing the devil can do to block that. But many of the things that we believe for, including healing for the physical body, including finances, physical finances or material finances, those are part of this natural realm. That's not an instant answer. That's a reshaping of natural life by our words to conform to the image of God, to conform to the plan of God, the purpose of God and the promises thereof. So here's the writer of Hebrews, again, I believe it's Paul, saying the key is to hold fast to what you're saying. Now, if there was not a delay, if healing, was, or, if healing or faith in any area was, exposed, was supposed to or expected to work instantly, why would you have to hold fast to anything? And on top of that, unless the author here knew and the Holy Ghost inspired the author to tell us, unless they knew that the operation of the enemy was designed for one and only one purpose, and that is to get you doubting in your heart, speaking against the faith that you exercised, what would be the big deal about holding fast your profession of faith? See, Paul knew, the Holy Ghost knew, we should know that that's the aim of everything the devil does is to affect the words of your mouth because you have authority on the earth through the words of your mouth. So what does he try to do? He tries to take control of your tongue. He tries to show you circumstances. He tries to make you feel certain ways so that you will conclude, like that pastor did that Brother Hagin was talking about, that you don't have what you believe God for because you can't see it. Well, operating that way, you never will have it because faith is the evidence of things not seen. Faith means we're convinced of what we can't see. Faith doesn't pertain to things that you can see. That's knowledge. Faith pertains to the unseen. So then Paul talks about, or the author of Hebrews, talks about other things concerning our Christian walk. Then he says in verse 35, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 35, he says, Cast not away therefore your confidence. Verse 23, he said, Hold fast the profession or confession of your mouth. That which you believed and that which you spoke. He said, Hold fast to that. Even if it's been delayed, even if it looks like it's not working, hold fast to that because we have a high priest, Jesus in the heavens at the right hand of God. Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 1 says, consider the apostle and the high priest of our profession, Jesus Christ. The only thing God's got to work with, the only thing Jesus as your high priest can administer to God the Father on your behalf are your words. So you've got to guard your words more carefully than anything else on, the, uh, on this earth. And here in verse 35, he said, cast not away, therefore, your confidence. Well, how would you cast away your confidence? By speaking contrary to the faith that you exercise to begin with. Or by doubting in your heart. Those are one and the same. Cast not away, therefore, your confidence, which has great recompense of reward, for you have need of patience. James talked about that, didn't he? For you have need of patience, that after you have done the will of God, you might receive the promise. Now, what does doing the will of God mean? 
After you have done the will of God, you will receive the promise. What does doing the will of God mean? See, in the Old Testament, the conditions of God, the blessings of God were contingent and dependent on obedience, keeping the law of Moses. Well, we're not under the law. We're under grace. So what is doing the will of God for us or in our situation? Believe. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. So what are we supposed to do? Follow Abraham's example. Doing the will of God, folks, is believing. That's what believers are supposed to do is believe. That's why we've got that catchy name. We're believers because we believe. Doing the will of God is believing according to his promises. So he says, cast not away, therefore, your confidence, which has great recompense of reward. If you've got instant results in every situation, there would be no need to hold fast or uh, guard against casting away your confidence. Again, it implies the time period between I believe I receive and I have it. Cast not away, therefore, your confidence, which has great recompense of reward, for you have need of patience, that after you have done the will of God, you might receive the promise. For you have need of patience, that after you have done the will of God, you might receive the promise. James said that if we let patience have her perfect work, then we would be perfect and entire, wanting or lacking nothing. In other words, receiving everything that we ask for. So what about the trouble we're in? If we handle the trouble with counting it joy or rejoicing, keeping our eyes on the promise, James is saying that there's nothing the devil can do to keep it from being a reality. Folks, the Bible makes some absolute statements, absolute guarantees. Jesus said, all things are possible to him that believes. Jesus said, whatever you call for or require in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Jesus said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done for you. And that's what glorifies God the Father. The Bible makes absolute assurances for results. But we know that not all the time are those results instant. Seldom are they instant. So what does the Bible do? The Bible tells us how to receive the absolute the guarantee, the assurance of the promises that God gave us. And it comes down very simply to thanking God in advance for the answer before you can see it. Guarding the words of your mouth, holding fast to your profession, casting not away your confidence. And that period of time, that experience between I believe I received the answer and there my answer is, I have it now, is this thing called patience. But notice that patience can't keep you from receiving. Patience is just the, the, the period. It's the experience between when you pray and when you have. Patience is not a bad thing. Patience is what we're supposed to exhibit, the character of God that we're supposed to exhibit during the time that we see is a delay. And it's not a delay at all. It's just the period where the devil tries to see how much you're worth when it comes to spiritual things how serious you are when it comes to the promises of god whether or not you're able to be shaken loose from what god said or if you really believe his word is true for you have need of patience the holy ghost said that after you have done the will of god after you have believed and held fast your profession you might receive the promise for yet a little while and he that shall come will come and will not tarry Jesus is coming now the just shall live by faith isn't it interesting that this phrase that we know of that came from the Old Testament quoted from the Old Testament several times in the New Testament in the uh, letters to the church isn't it interesting that the Bible talks about the just living by faith, those being made, that have been made righteous, that's what just means. Those who have been declared innocent, those who have been declared righteous, those who have been born again, are supposed to live by this thing called faith, this evidence of things not seen. What are we supposed to do? We're supposed to stay steady. I saw a quote the other day by Corey Ten Boone. I don't know how long ago she's been gone for a long time. 
So I don't know what, uh, uh, when she said it or how late in her life she said it, but she made an excellent point. She said, if you're riding a train and it goes through a tunnel, you don't tear away, throw away your ticket and jump off. You keep your seat, you stay on the train, and it comes through the tunnel onto the other side where there's sunlight. I think that's a great analogy to walking by faith. Don't give up just because it looks like you're in a tunnel. Hold fast the profession of your faith. Cast not away your confidence, which has great recompense of reward. The faith that the devil is trying to tell you isn't working has great recompense of reward. And if he didn't know it was working, he sure wouldn't be telling you and trying to influence you to give up on it. It occurred to me one day when I was under attack about something, the devil was throwing thoughts in my mind that were contrary to the word. It occurred to me one day when he said that my faith wasn't working, that he'd be a fool to tell me that if it really wasn't working. See, if what I was believing God for was not being effective, then isn't that the place where he'd want me to be? Wouldn't he keep his mouth shut and just say, yeah, you just keep on the road your own. We'll see where that turns out for you. But the fact that the devil tells us that our faith is not working is pretty good evidence that, we, that it is. If we didn't even have the word that promised us the truth. It'd be a good indicator that we were on the right road because he's a liar and the father of lies and he's trying to get us off the right road under the wrong road. And that's all part of living by faith. He said, now the just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not of them who draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. Now, folks, I know that he's not talking specifically about drawing back from the faith to receive your healing or receive finances or anything like that, but it is a principle that will work in every area. And it's all connected to the just living by faith. We might paraphrase and say this this way. The just shall live by faith. But those who give up in the middle of hard places or in the middle of trials or tests or difficulties or adversity. Those are the ones that God doesn't have any pleasure in. Well, that certainly lines up with Hebrews eleven six, Which says, but without faith, it's impossible to please God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. We could identify it by the characteristics of faith. Without holding fast to your profession, it's impossible to please God. Without rejoicing in trouble, it's impossible to please God. Without counting it all joy, it's impossible to please God. You see the point? Without casting our care on the Lord, being anxious for nothing, it's impossible to please God. Without holding fast the profession of our mouths, it's impossible to please God. But we're not of them that draw back. We're not of them that turn loose of their faith because things get tough. We're not those that quit because we can't see the evidence. We know that faith is the evidence of things that we cannot see. Amen? Faith always works when you hold fast to it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the privilege that we have to understand these spiritual truths. Father, it's so good to trust you. It's so good to rely on your integrity and rely on your faithfulness. As such, we call ourselves healed by the stripes of Jesus. We call things that be not as though they are and say that our bodies are healed by the stripes of Jesus and we are well. We say that we're free from sickness and disease. Every type, every form, every kind of sickness and disease because Jesus took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. We say, no matter what it looks like, no matter what it feels like, no matter what reports we've gotten from the doctor, we say, according to the word of God, we are healed. We trust in you, Father. And we count it joy. You know that we'd like for things to be done instantly and received immediately. But, Father, then we wouldn't understand the greatness of your faithfulness. 
we wouldn't understand this great principle that you've given us to overcome called faith. We wouldn't have the opportunity to develop patience. It's a privilege, Father, an honor to hold fast in the face of circumstances that contradict it, contradict your word. It's a privilege, Father. It's an honor to walk by faith and be of those who refuse to give up. In Jesus' name. We love you, Father. We thank you that your word is true. We thank you that the word is working mightily in our bodies and in our lives. We declare that we have the end of that which we believe for. Healing finances or whatever the case may be. We declare that by faith we have it now. So we thank you for it. Thank you that it's done. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your great plan of redemption. Thank you that we've been blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. We say that our words of faith shall come to pass. We say that we shall have that which we believe we receive. In Jesus' precious name. Is it done? Is it done for you? According to the word, it's done. I'm going to side in with the word. How about you? Amen? Well, let's all stand. Hallelujah. Let's thank him one more time. What a privilege it is, Father, to walk by faith. It's the way you designed this to be. Faith children of a faith God. Operating with authority here on the earth against and over all the work of the enemy. We use our authority and exercise our authority against sickness and disease, Father, even according to your will. And we thank you for the results. Thank you, Father, that it's up to you to see that we have that which we believe for. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you for being here with us. Have a great week and come on back and be with us Wednesday night if you can.